maybe it's because I read a lot of Archie comics growing up, or maybe it's because I watched too much Laguna Beach, but it's hard not to look at all the flora and fauna in the garden and see it for what it really is. A whole lot of high school drama. In the cafeteria of our backyards, you have the nerdy veggies clustered together and doing their work. I mean, I was one of those. The bees are clearly running for student council, desperately visiting every flower and trying to round up votes. The roses feel like the homecoming court, tall and good-looking and, yes, a little prickly. The ivy leans against the wall, all punk rock, zero regard for authority. The squirrels made varsity and can't stop running laps. The worms are in everyone's business. The trees are gossip queens throwing so much shade. And the ants have to be the worst marching band in the state, always out of formation. Oh, and the poor slugs, they are never where they're supposed to be. Just total burnouts. Whatever zip code you're in, it's clearly 90210 in your backyard. And while, yes, they look like a rambunctious group of youngsters goofing off and causing trouble, they look out for each other more than you might think. Participating in a network that shares resources, fosters growth, and makes for a healthier backyard and community as a whole. And the day after prom, I'm sure they'll take this all in and realize they cared about each other more than they ever thought. Except the slugs. They won't remember any of this. Hey there, I'm Mangesh Hatikler, a co-host of Part-Time Genius, one of the co-founders of Mental Floss, and this is Humans Growing Stuff, a collaboration from iHeartRadio and your friends at Miracle Grow. My goal is to make this the most human show about plants you'll ever listen to. And along the way, we'll share sweet, inspiring stories, tips and tricks to nurture your plant addiction, and just enough science to make you sound like an expert. On today's episode, we're going to take you through the biodiverse world living in your backyard. We'll learn how you can increase the health of that ecosystem so we can thrive and become a sanctuary for the community, not to mention a cool place for all the wildlife in your neighborhood to hang out. Chapter 7 the backyard ecosystem. If you know your history the way I do, you've read all about the greatest warring tribes who've battled for dominance. The Lannisters and the Starks, the Rebels and the Empire, the Sharks and the Jets, the English Ivies and the Deciduous Trees. Well, maybe that last one is less talked about, but hear me out. In your backyard... Part of maintaining order is keeping the peace between your green friends and their common foes. And that brings us to the topic of this segment, invasive plants. Invasive plants are like your freeloading cousin Sal who slept on your couch for two weeks. A little tough to get rid of. And invasive plants can cause a lot of issues. They seed prolifically so they can overwhelm an ecosystem with aggressive growth. Some create dense mats or complex root systems that inhibit growth or force other plants out. And while they can look quite beautiful, the species can cause big problems for the food chain. Insects and animals that thrive on native plants, they don't stick around when they realize their food supply is dwindling. But that's where we come in, because our backyards actually provide sanctuary for all wildlife to sleep, feed, and survive. So what exactly can we do? The answer may be obvious, but 
it requires some work. Grow native plants and remove the invasive ones. And there are some simple choices you can make based on the ecosystem of where you live. Like, say, you're dying to plant something purple and periwinkle feels like your only option. Maybe opt for the native frog fruit or ground morning glory instead. If you're craving a wall covered in ivy, get rid of that English ivy and plant Virginia creeper. It's far less creepy than it sounds, plus it's not harmful to trees the way English ivy is. Oh, and its berries are a good food source to bring in birds and insects. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. I wanted to learn a little more, so I decided to call up an expert. Michelle Bertelson is an oncologist for the Lady Bird Johnson Wildflower Center, and I thought maybe she could point me in the right direction. Hey, Michelle, how's it going? Good, how are you? Doing super well. So I am so excited to talk to you about the ecosystems in our backyard. But first, I'm curious, as an ecologist, what are some of the more exciting aspects of the research and work you're doing with plant ecosystems? So one of the things that is most exciting to me, especially about the grassland systems, is they're often called a forest upside down. Uh So most of their mass is underground. You can't see it, but it's massive. There's a wonderful picture that I think the Nature Conservancy originally did. It's a picture of roots, of prairie roots, basically. Mm. So they show the top, and it's with a scale. Um, and the underground goes down 15 feet. And the above ground is only three feet tall. And so it just shows what's going on under the ground. And then as I studied that, you realize that it's an entire, it's an entire community under the ground, just as diverse as the one above the ground. And so it's this hidden diversity that I find very exciting. This incredible invisible world, right? That is functioning beneath is, is amazing. Yeah. And a lot of what we're doing in restoration is actually trying to restore that, that below ground community huh. as best we can. We only barely understand it. So for those at home who don't know, Kate, can you talk a little bit about what an invasive species is and, and if they're all bad? So an invasive species is a species that comes into a system and takes over. There are not a lot of laws in ecology, but diversity being helpful thing is one of them. We, need, we want lots of types of species. We want lots of ages, all of those things. And what an invasive species will do is it comes in and you go from 100 species to one or two. Mm. It's still a plant. It's doing what plants do. So there will be some function, but that is a monoculture that's not good. Um, the term gets thrown around a lot and just applied to all non-natives, which is not necessarily the case. Many mm. of the invasives are non-natives. Their natural checks are not here. And we have our own species from this continent have gotten off of this continent and they're wreaking havoc elsewhere. Yeah. How do, you, uh, how do you rid yourself of those if you find these species in your backyard? First of all, you have to learn your plants. Because mm-hmm. um, I like to let weeds come up. I kind of enjoy watching them come up and see what they are. Mm-hmm. But you need to know what those volunteers are. Some of them are great. Some of them are not great. Some, some of them you actually have to use herbicide. There are re-sprouters that you have to cut it off and then spray the stump. Some you can just pull out as long as you're aggressive about it. Or you can do things like solarizing if you just like this whole spot is nothing but invasive. Mm. Um, you can solarize. So that's just covering the ground in, in plastic for a certain amount of time and then restarting. That's really interesting. What is a volunteer? So it's just a plant that comes up without you putting it there. <laughs> it just volunteered and it's here now. It's <laughs> a cute term. Which yeah, I think is great because they came up without me having to do anything. <laughs> but a lot of them are not things I want to keep. So you do have to identify them as they come up. Well, talk about how you can bring pollinators to like a small 
patch of this yeah. uh, restored area. Yeah, pollinators are one of the most fun things to work for. So I want an entire suite of function, but the pollinators give you the most bang for the buck right away. So if, just take the, the monarchs. So they need milkweeds. You need to have the milkweeds there so that the caterpillars can have something to eat. But then you also need to have nectar plants. So things like blue mist flower, which draws them in and they eat the nectar off of it. And it's just beautiful. And so that information is very easy to find. There's people all over the country working on pollinator plants. And so they will be, I can guarantee, a list for your area. These are the 20 pollinator species that work. And so then you just pick a mix of them Mm. and put them in your yard. And hopefully your neighbors do the same. And then you can become these little waypoints for these, especially the migrating pollinators who need, they need points. They need ways to get across the cities. Mm. And just from an experience standpoint. So there's this one place, it's my favorite spot in the Wildflower Center. It's just a little spot. So there's a pathway heading down to the family garden. And on either side of it, they've got planted blue mist flower, which attracts just clouds of butterflies in the fall. Mm-hmm. Because it's on either side of the path, what happens is they just get covered in them and then they fly across the path. And so it becomes this, like you're going through a bridge into this natural area just with the living butterflies. And people just stop it's a moment and they stop and they notice and they think, Oh, we're in a natural place now. Yeah. And so just that movement helps people feel like you're in a living system. Yeah, no, that that's beautiful. I, I remember my parents took us to San Francisco when I was a kid and, and going to like a butterfly garden. Yeah. Just the joy of it is incredible. So uh, there are going to be a lot of homeowners and, and, and people who, who are working in little gardens listening to this podcast. And, and we're wondering, what are some small but critical things that, that you can do to help facilitate growth and make your yard a better place for your plants? Yeah, well, I, I mean, and if you're a gardener, you know this, but it all starts with the soil. So look at your soil, see what condition it's in. And what condition it's in depends on what you're trying to grow. And one thing that is pretty much never wrong is adding organic matter to the soil. So nice finished compost will help pretty much any soil Mm. Um, because it does, it does a lot of things. Having more organic matter in your soil will moderate. It'll help your soil hold onto water better. It will also help you have better soil structure. So you've got better, you know, those whole, you want holes in your soil to have air in them. Um, It provides food for all those microbes and fungi and everything we're trying to grow in the soil. It's the base of that food chain. If you do nothing else, add a little bit of organic matter will help everything. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm kind of curious, aside from the butterflies, what are the other creatures that you want to see in your backyard? Yeah, well, I mean, you want to see bees. People are afraid of them, but you don't need, as long as you don't mess with them, they tend to leave you alone. But they're nice to see. It's nice to have in your soil. It's nice if you've got some worms. Mm-hmm. In my view, a healthy healthy backyard would have a wide variety of plants, so uh, different types of plants. You want grasses and you want flowers and you want trees, big trees, little trees. You want different ages. So if all of your trees are the same age, that's a problem because they're all going to die at the same time. So Mm. you need to have some younger ones coming up. So yeah, that's just high diversity, high cover, not a lot of spaces between your plants, unless you're in the desert where you need big spaces. Most places, you don't need the really wide spacing. You need more cover Um, and healthy soil. I love... uh you know, I feel like when we hear the word diversity, we often think of one thing, but the idea of like so much diversity living in your garden, living close together and it all helping one another is is such a beautiful idea. It is. And I love seeing it. The, I mean, the great thing about working with natural systems is you really are a partner. You don't have to do everything. You just have to put the pieces in place and remove impediments and it will start, it'll click on and it'll start trying to become a healthy system 
And that's fun to watch. Michelle, thank you so much for being here. I feel like I've learned so much and, and it's been wonderful to have you here. Thanks for having me. So guys, I've got a special treat for you today. I invited my producer, Molly, who's behind so much of the excellence of the show, to come in front of the mic and bring me a quiz, which I'm a little nervous about, but I'm excited to have you here, Molly. You should be anxious. You should be nervous. (laughs) You should be excited too, though. I did intentionally make this pretty difficult, so... Uh Okay, Mango, here's the game. It's called Friend or Foe. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the name of a plant, insect, or animal species. And what I want you to do is I want you to tell me if it is a friend or a foe to your backyard. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right. The first one is called passion vine. Mm, passion vine. Passion vine. I feel a little bit like I'm in the script spelling bee right now. The word is passion vine. Yeah, could you use it in a sentence for me or tell me the end of um, I'm going to say a friend. You are correct. It is also known as passion flower or maypop, and it's called maypop because the fruit is actually hollow. So when you crush the fruit, it makes this popping sound. Oh, cool. But what's really great about passion vine is it attracts hummingbirds, butterflies, bumblebees, and they're going to come in and help pollinate all the flowers and plants in your garden. Oh, my God. I I actually just pulled it up on Google, and it's beautiful. Yeah. It's a really pretty flower. Yeah. It's like this very unusual but kind of striking purple flower. Yeah. Yeah, I'll definitely look for it. Okay, next one. Butterfly bush. Butterfly bush. So we had one of these in my house in Delaware. I feel like my mom ordered it from like a catalog or something, but I really hated it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. I I, Friend? You know what? Your childhood instincts were actually right. It is a (laughs) foe. It is an invasive species. It is a noxious weed, as some might call it. That's not great. (laughs) All right. Next one. Tree of Heaven. I I feel like you're tricking me with all these like beautiful sounding names. It's really (laughs) deceptive. I told you this was going to be hard. Tree of Heaven. I'm going to say friend. You are incorrect. Mm. It is a foe. It is an invasive species that was brought over to North America in the 1700s. And it's actually really known for just smelling horribly. (laughs) It might also be known as its common name, the stinking sumac. Um, It's also known as the varnish tree and the stinking tree. But what's even worse is it actually secretes a chemical into the soil that just straight up poisons other plants. What a what a misleading name. That's crazy. All right, next one. And I will give you a hint that this is a bird. It's called a European starling. Friend or foe? This one I feel like is is a famously uh invasive species, like cane toads and kudzu or whatever. Like I, I feel like it's it's always on the list. You are correct. These birds are actually not supposed to be in the US at all. But now they have taken over in large flocks. They compete with other birds for a nesting location, and their droppings are super problematic. Yeah, these aerial attacks. <laughs> <laughs> right? But their droppings in particular can hinder soil growth because their droppings can actually carry seeds of invasive species. And the droppings transmit disease. Even the National Audubon Society says 
it's okay not to like this bird. You don't have to like this bird. This bird's kind of a jerk. Their sole goal is to like make you appreciate birds. <laughs> That's incredible. Right. Exactly. Okay. Next one. Slugs. Oh, my nemesis. Friend or foe? Um, I'm going to say foe. So they're kind of both friend and foe. Hmm. They eat a lot of dead plants, which is great. But they also eat a lot of your living plants as well. So that's not so great. Not to mention that they procreate at what I can only call an alarming rate. One slug can spawn nearly 430 offspring in a single year. Whoa. (laughs) That is prolific. But... The other really important thing to know about these is while I know a lot of people at home listening will want to find remedies to get rid of these slugs and kill them off in your backyards, they are an important part of the ecosystem. They're a food source for animals and birds. And like I said, they will actually help clean out some of this dead stuff on your backyard floor because they'll eat it. And while they are going to eat some of your living plants, it's sort of important to keep them. Mm. Is there any way to just get them to procreate less? Like... Put fewer candlelights out, like make less very white. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't have that kind of insight right now. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. The last one is something that I know, like slugs, you've had some personal experience with, and it's possums. Yeah, I don't I don't know what to do about this possum and how to feel about it because it is so ugly uh, and it's rustled by our door and woken me up at like three in the morning. I mean, so ugly. It's cute, too, I guess. But but uh, <laughs> right. but then I also saw it like scurry up the stairs and I got really <laughs> nervous. So. <laughs> I am going to say friend. You are correct. While his presence may make you feel a little uncomfortable, Mango, um, he's actually a friend to your backyard. Uh, so possums will eat snails and slugs and other insects in your backyard, which is great. Uh-huh. And But if you're in a place like Brooklyn or New York, they'll even eat small rodents, according to the Humane Society. Oh, really? Which I'm, I'm a big fan of because I have lived in a couple of New York apartments where we have had mouse issues. And <laughs> I, I got to be honest, I, I would have loved a pet possum. I would have loved that. Yeah. I would have been like, this is great. But, you know, they'll also come through and they'll kind of eat all the fallen fruits and vegetables from your backyard floor or garden floor too. So they'll keep things kind of tidy as well, which is super helpful. Yeah. So possums are friends. Yeah. I see it in a completely different light now. All right, Mangesh, that was friend or foe. (laughs) How do you feel? I feel like you showed me a chart of all the like community helpers and and now I know who to be a little wary of and 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 who I should be smiling at. I'm glad that I could do that for you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for coming here, Molly. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Anytime. And now for another trip to Poetry Corner. This poem is called An Apology to the Possum in My Garden. I'm sorry that when I saw you, I screamed and shooed you away. But now that I know you feast on slugs, please help yourself to the buffet. Thank you. Humans Growing Stuff will be right back after a short break. As much as we've been at home, 
isolated for the past few months, it's strange to also feel the strength of our communities. It makes me smile to think of the people who've been donating their time, their harvest, bringing groceries to the elderly, pulling together to create services for kids in need. I see it all over my neighborhood, all these volunteers, and it's inspiring. But it's funny to look at the backyard and think about all the symbiotic relationships out there too. How the participants in that little ecosystem need one another. Birds dispersing seeds so wildflowers can grow. Geraniums warding off pests to help the other plants around them. All these things quietly helping one another out. On days when I'm overwhelmed by the outside world, it's nice to look at your garden and see all these things cooperating realizing it's natural to help one another thrive and to take some comfort in that. Speaking of comfort, someone who makes me feel better about the world right now is comedian, actor, and author Jim Gaffigan. You may know Jim from his weekly segments on CBS Sunday Morning or from any of his numerous stand-up specials, including his most recent, The Pale Tourist, which is available for streaming now on Prime Video. Since March, Jim has really gotten into gardening, and it's impressive. He's built out a couple gardens in his backyard, and I wanted to call him up to ask him how he views his garden, what sort of natural relationships he's spotted out there, and what he finds inspiring about it all. Hey, Jim, how's it going? Who is this? <laughs> no, hey, how are you? Thank you for answering. I, I've been so comforted by some of the stuff you've been doing. I, I really love your family dinners that you've been putting on. I'm a big fan of your work, but I know you've been gardening in quarantine. And, you know, I'm, I'm always curious about childhood memories. And I read somewhere that I think as an eighth grader in Indiana, you planted some corn and had a good experience with that. Can you, uh, can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. So it was so long ago when I had done my first gardening experiment, it was a uh, summer uh, after eighth grade and my mom really enjoyed gardening. And I remember just thinking she's crazy. She goes out there for just hours noodling around, mm -hmm. but I was kind of fascinated by the idea of growing something. Uh, I thought that was appealing. And uh, so I was in eighth grade. We grew up on the shores of Lake Michigan in Indiana, I decided to just plant some popcorn seeds to see if they would work. <laughs> I planted them in sand, essentially, but they grew and it, it sparked this fascination. And I, I eventually had kind of a mini garden, but it was very much a lazy uh, approach to gardening. Not, not, not that my enthusiasm wasn't there, but I didn't really embrace the research that was necessary. I mean, I planted popcorn in sand, which is, you know, probably a red flag that I didn't really know what I was doing. <laughs> but it was it was so strangely rewarding. And um, that doesn't that doesn't even feel like it should work, right? Like it, yeah, it feels it, like a miracle in itself. <laughs> yeah, it's you know, I mean the the sand could support uh you know beach grass. So it's and corn is a grass. So I guess it's it's not the craziest thing, but, mm -hmm. um, and it was something that, you know, so it built a bit of a, a memory that became a little bit of folklore in my family. I'm the youngest of six kids, so crazy Jimmy grows, uh, grew some corn and sand. 
And so I did have this almost this uh, belief that I I wanted to be a farmer. I it was something that I liked the independence. I, I, I you know, and that's what brought me back to it during the pandemic was you know there's some some element of gardening that uh, and farming that seems you have some element of control. It's very similar to stand-up comedy. Like farmers mm-hmm. are very similar to comedians. They have no control. They attempt to control it. It's mm-hmm. an insane pursuit. And uh, so there is something about the gardening exercise that is very solitary that uh, reminds me of stand-up. Is gardening, has it become a habit for you? Is it, uh, what is your routine like? I, you know, I came upon it uh, in a very unplanned way. Uh, we had been in the pandemic in uh, our apartment in New York City for, you know, from March to the end of May, you know, not leaving our apartments. And then I decided to rent a house outside of New York City for my kids because we had to get outside. And so we rented a place so that they could run around. And there were garden beds there from the owner. And so uh, initially it was just this exercise. Well, it would be fun for, I've got, you know, kids eight, nine and uh, 11 and 14 and 16. So it'll be great for some of the kids to see something grow. And so we got some tomato plants and we planted some corn and my eldest planted some watermelon, not realizing that it was too late for the watermelon. But uh, it was one of those things where I thought maybe I could bring the kids over and they would be interested. But my kids had had no interest whatsoever. But what what I did learn was that, and maybe it's a result of after this really intensive quarantine with my family, the the allure of this time, this solitary time outside, uh, tending to these plants, you know, pouring water on mud and it turning into something was incredibly rewarding. I would wake up, I found myself waking up early so that I could water before it would get hot. And um, it was it was really, yeah, it ended up being such a rewarding thing, you know, and it was, you know, I think my wife was kind of like, good, he's not here too. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it was, and I know that, you know, gardening during the pandemic was was very common. You know, some people you know, baked some people, you know, worked out and, but you know, I don't, I don't know how to make sourdough bread. So I uh, did the garden. <laughs> I mean, that, that is the thing about all of this, right? Being outside is so rewarding, but, but also this reminder that like going to a nursery is really fun and like forcing oh, yeah. my kids to go on that walk, look at plants and explore it is something I didn't expect to get joy from. Yeah, absolutely. It is, it's kind of hard to articulate, right? Yeah. It, because it is, I mean, I'm also, I should say that I'm a gardener that does, uh, that enjoys growing things that have a functional purpose. Like when I encounter friends that are like, uh, I'm growing these flowers, I'm like, that's weird. Do you know what I mean? But it's not weird. <laughs> it's obviously. not a Zen garden for you. <laughs> so <laughs> next year, if we had this conversation, because I, I tried to do sunflowers like three times, not realizing that rabbits love sunflowers and uh-huh. 
deer, uh, you know, it doesn't matter how large they are, the deer will eat anything and everything. You know, it's so fascinating because it doing the garden, not only was it, uh, it was probably, uh, you know, beneficial to my mental well-being and there was a meditative quality to it, but I think it changed my diet for me because I'm like, well, I grew this zucchini. I would never eat a zucchini otherwise, but since I grew it, <laughs> we got to yeah. figure out how to eat this. And I think it's there's also something really social about a garden. Like you have this overabundance of eggplants and zucchini. So, and it prompts you to be generous with those things. In some ways, you're like just trying to get rid of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we rented this house that they had a lawn crew, but I would go out there and I'd be like, do you guys want these eggplants? And, uh, and it's, you know, then they became friends of mine. They're like, well, this guy offered me food. <laughs> That's but I, I also thought it was fascinating how the things that were easy to grow were less likely to be something I'd want to consume. Like the eggplants and the zucchinis were like the first things <laughs> to come out where they were edible. And I was like, what? I got to grow some cheeseburgers here. I don't know how to get some of this stuff. Yeah. I'm curious, how do you feel about about all the wildlife? Do you look out there and, and you're sort of amazed by it? Or are you just annoyed by it? And what are you observing in your backyard? Oh, it's it's so fascinating, right? It's just... I mean, we're not that far from New York City, but it is, it's, I'm observing, you know, the, you know, the circle of life, you know, stuff going on where there's, there's little critters everywhere. And there's, I don't know, there, I feel like there's a thousand rabbits, you know, and <laughs> the, in the front, there's some, I think it's fascinating how the rabbits they do that freezing thing where you'll you'll be walking up and my 11-year-old daughter just goes crazy for animals. And the rabbits will do that pause where mm -hmm. they freeze thinking you won't see them or something. It's a very strange tactic. Yeah. You almost imagine that among rabbits, they're like, if you see a human, just play dead. <laughs> you know, or they're... They have some approach similar to how we react or are supposed to react when we see a bear. Yeah. But it is fascinating how truly beautiful the little critters are. And, you know, even a fox, it's, I don't know, maybe I'm just, I'm turning into an old man in the pandemic. <laughs> but I know it, it sounds corny or something, but, it, but it's, it's stunning to appreciate all these things and like to take the time to appreciate them too, even though they're irritating yeah. as well, right? Like, like you have to be irritated by the bunnies. Yeah. And, and, but like the bunnies or the fox, they're, it's weird because they're living outside, but they look like they just had their hair done. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like that fox, you know, that fox is going to a hairdresser. It's like there's the fox, like the tail. You're like, come on, come on. You're, you're too much. You expect me to believe you live in a hole. You live in a hole and your tail looks like that. Do you know what I mean? There's got to be conditioner or something that you're using. You know, I, I was wondering, was it just like muscle memory from eighth grade that you're gardening with? But clearly you're like investigating YouTube and, and diving into things. Like, what are some of the things that you geek out over? I geeked out over, uh, you know, how my wife would pretend to be impressed. Or, you know, <laughs> I would post on social media, like what my harvest was. And sometimes I would post, because we're in essentially quarantine, 
And I would occasionally go to a carding store, but I would ask for feedback online from people. I'm like, is this, what did I do wrong here? And there's a, there's a resourcefulness and a generosity from other gardeners. They're like, you know what? Put that on a shelf for a week. It'll be fine. You know, and some of this stuff, I feel like maybe I knew or I would hear my mom talk about it, but I've been just thinking of like, jokes about being lazy for the past 30 years, so I haven't remembered it. But (laughs) I geek out about how it's all connected, how, you know, it's like if you get ladybugs, they'll deal with the aphids and, you know, uh, and some of it I haven't implemented, but like the, you plant things near each other to help uh, protect them, uh, how people will plant. uh, But there's, there's so much to know uh, that it's it's really fun, but I'm I'm still at the point where I will plant things in my herb garden. I'm like I don't even know what that is, and someone <laughs> will come in and go, "Oh, you're growing mint," and I'm like, "Yeah, I am growing mint." You know, it's like I didn't know, or and it's not like I cook a lot, so people are like, "Oh, you're growing basil. I want to make my own pesto," and I'll be like, "I can make pesto from that." I didn't. I'm just really dumb. <laughs> I actually saw online that uh, you didn't just stick to those raised beds. You actually expanded and created a second garden in a corner of the backyard. And I'm curious, how is gardening there different from gardening in those raised beds? Well, it is a dramatic difference in that the gardening beds that I inherited from the homeowner, uh, they had those drip coils. They had... uh, they, they were raised uh, beds that had great soil. So that soil was pretty crummy soil. So it was, there was a process of trying to fix the soil. And again, I'm not an expert on it. So I would try and do things. And then I would go off uh, and decide to, I would read about something like, oh, all right, I'll put hay down there or something that will retain some of the moisture in there. And then, uh, so it was totally improvising the whole way, but it was, it was completely different. Cause I also, um, I'd done this clearing and so I was growing stuff. And then I think someone said to me, oh, you're growing it near a pine tree. And I was like, yeah. And they're like, well, that's a pretty, uh, that makes the soil acidic. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. You know, so there's <laughs> so many puzzles in the equation, right? There's so many. Yeah. So I'm like, I can't chop down that tree, you know, but well, and then I was like, well, what grows around pine trees? Does anything? Yeah. Well, what did grow there was pumpkins that bloomed but didn't fruit but i don't know if that's a result of me starting pumpkins too late which is very likely or pumpkins can grow in acidic soil i know that peppers didn't work and i know that uh, beans didn't work in the acidic soil I mean, I, I was going through this exercise earlier of trying to figure out like where in the high school hierarchy like various things in the backyard sat who are the athletes yeah, I would say tomatoes, they're like the stars of all gardens. And I don't know if it's the functionality of them, that everyone likes them, 
Uh, everyone likes tomatoes, whether it be in a salad or in a marinara. But they're also pretty. But I just feel like there's so much – they get so much attention. Whereas kale is, like, so easy to grow. No one really wants it. <laughs> it's just <laughs> – it's like you're, you're like, we can mix it into a salad. It's It's – essentially an herb or a weed like kale you know was declassified from weed to edible it feels like in the last decade and then i would say that (laughs) there's just and then there's the there's the frequent friends you know like that you spend a lot of time with which are the beans and then there's like i feel as though beets and carrots are you know, those are the friends that you hung around with maybe once or twice. Like, I feel as though there's something about the reveal of a beet or a carrot that is, it's very deceptive. I guess it's, you know, it's kind of like that old visual of uh, a man sees a back of a beautiful woman with long flowing hair. And then as they get up, the woman turns and she's you know, 90 years old. It's a little bit like that. I mean, that probably sounds horrible. <laughs> but like where you you see this huge bushy carrot plant and you pull it out and it's just this stubby tiny <laughs> carrot or it's deformed. I, I don't know what sure. I'm doing with Like carrots are way too hard. Like carrots should be much easier to grow. Yeah. It's like you're just going to give us one, you know, whereas <laughs> peppers uh, or like an apple tree, you're like, you know, like apples – are it almost feels kind of silly how many apples an apple tree provides like you're just like that's that's not necessary do you know what i mean yeah. it's just we're not going to eat this many apples all right mr apple tree like just settle down <laughs> this episode is also a lot about the um relationships that are going on in your backyard between like the flora and fauna and and, and the ecosystem back there. And we're kind of curious, what analogy would you draw to all the layers and and relationships within your own garden? Wow. I think there's something really fascinating about the fence around the garden. Because it, it, you know, like it's a pretty white fence around these raised beds. It feels very... It's necessary. The The animals would eat the vegetables and stuff like that. But there is part of me that's like, well, that's not fair, right? It's like, it's a little cruel for the rabbits to be able to look in and go, geez, what? I, you know, there's food right in there. And there's plenty of food everywhere. Yeah. So there is, I guess I feel a sense of almost guilt at times. Because I know that, you know, I'm relieved that this plastic owl will somehow stop a bird from, right when a tomato is ripe enough, it'll stop a bird from pecking at the tomato. But uh-huh. there is part of me that's like, well, you know, they sh- I could give them some of them. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, completely. <laughs> so I I guess one of the questions we're, we're wondering about is, when you look out in the back, like what really inspires you most in, in the backyard and garden? I don't know if I can even put... Uh, Put to words of what it's, I think it's the silence or the absence of our world. How uh, you can get away from the chaos of the world and that occurs when I'm noodling around the garden. It's probably what I imagine people that run long distance and they're 
Like I look at joggers that aren't listening to anything. I'm like, that's crazy, you know, <laughs> but that's Completely. what I experience in that quiet time in the garden. It's, it's, I guess, peace. Yeah. I like going out to the garden because then there are these times when there's going to be a surprise. There's, you know, that garden, you know, that pepper uh, bloom could have turned into a little bit of a pepper at this point, or uh, maybe, maybe I can harvest the cucumber this time. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because you know what there is also about gardening is that there's something optimistic about a garden. And we live in this uh, with a certain level of cynicism. I think the old me before I garden would have been like, okay. You know, and there is, uh, the reality is, is you can go to a farmer's market and get better vegetables than you're going to attempt to grow. And <laughs> the the financial resources will be, you know, if you weigh out time value of money, it's there's no comparison. Yeah. So there is something creative and optimistic about a garden. Yeah. I mean, I, I found there's like pure optimism, right? <laughs> like that you plant these seeds and expect them to grow and whatever. But but I've also been thinking a lot about if more people garden, will this be sort of a more caring world? Yeah. Just this whole idea of like, if you're constantly paying attention to plants and, and their needs and like you make a practice of that, like, will that actually affect a whole generation of people? Yeah. And you also think of as we've become more and more modern have we lost sight of some of these lessons that we learn by realizing the different elements of how things work in nature? And that, I'm not saying I understand it, but you're like, oh, you know what? I guess we do need, not that I have anything against ladybugs, but ladybugs get rid of the aphids. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah. uh, those birds are actually good because they're protecting the plants, but they get to eat some of them. And so, and I do also think that the firsthand experience with composting, which again, the old me would have been like, like my last year, my wife had a compost on our roof with my kids. And I remember, I didn't, I never went up and saw it. I remember thinking, <laughs> that's great, honey. Great. Doing the composting. And that firsthand experience with composting, when you witness, you know, quality soil being created it changes things, right? You have an understanding. And when you're growing things, you, you appreciate the importance of quality soil. So it all kind of feeds into things. Not that, you know, like if I'm on vacation or like we're ever going to be able to do that again. But if I'm <laughs> in a certain place, I'm not looking at the soil going, oh, there's decent soil. But yeah, you're mindful of Oh, this would be good a good area to grow something. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on this program. We really, really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. It was so fun. Welcome to Pollination Station. So I learned earlier from Molly that despite the deceptive marketing behind butterfly bushes, they actually do very little to bring butterflies to your yard. So I decided I needed a quick lesson on how to encourage pollinators to come to the garden. Pollinators are 
obviously important because they encourage reproduction in plants. Plus, over 30% of the food we consume is actually distributed by these helpful friends. Here are four tricks to bring pollinators to your yard. One. Plant native plants. This sounds obvious, but growing more native plants is a must do. Over time, pollinators have co-evolved alongside native plants, so your job is to continue that chain and not disrupt it. And if you keep native plants growing, it won't be long before you have bees and hummingbirds showing up at the party too. Garden a rainbow. Everyone wants a beautiful, colorful garden that's full of flowers, right? Well, it turns out so do pollinators, especially bees. Planting different colored flowers attracts bees to your garden, and once they're there, they will get to work. Three. Throw some herbs in there. Planting an herb garden may seem like a no-brainer to give an herbaceous lift to your dinners, but it's also an easy way to attract bumblebees. And while basil and rosemary are helpful in getting more pollinators over, they're non-native, so supplement them with lots of native buddies. Four. Put in a bird bath. People don't often think about it, but bird baths are a super helpful way to keep a water source close by. You can also create a basin for rain, which will attract butterflies and birds, and that'll keep your pollination station up and running. That's it for today's episode. Don't forget, whether you're a beginner like me, a pro trying something new, or someone in between enjoying your backyard garden, there are incredible resources waiting for you on the Miracle Grow website. Next time on our show, we'll be diving into the world of garden fitness, talking to experts on how to take advantage and burn some calories, all while tending to your plants. If you like what you heard, don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Also, we want to hear from you. What are your inspiring plant stories, relatable struggles, or growing questions? Tag us in your post or tweet using the hashtag humansgrowingstuff. And don't be surprised if you hear your story featured on an upcoming episode. Humans Growing Stuff is a collaboration from iHeartRadio and your friends at Miracle Grow. Our show is written and produced by Molly Sosha and me, Mungesh Atikler, in partnership with Ryan Ovedia, Daniel Ainsworth, Haley Erickson, and Garrett Shannon of Banter. Till next time. Thanks so much for listening.